We're good. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Safina Saadi Nothing But Facts live stream where we are today uh, covering the uh, wisdoms surrounding Surah Yusuf. The wisdoms of Surah Yusuf and especially the the dreams of Prophet Yusuf, the dreams in that surah. That surah begins with a dream at the beginning, a dream in the middle, and a dream in the end. It also begins with a shirt in the middle, in the beginning, a shirt in the middle, and a shirt in the end. And each one of these shirts symbolize a different aspect of Sayyidina Yusuf's uh, status. So the first part of his status was that he was oppressed. The second was that he was proven innocent, but jailed anyway for a longer period of time. Think about this. The first, everything is by Allah's will. The first shirt was used to put him in jail, uh, to put him, to, to make him disappear, or in modern parlance, to disappear him, right? But he only spent three days in the, in the well, okay? The second shirt was proof of his innocence, and he was innocent, but he spent 10 years in the jail. Subhanallah. So when they when they when you when you had no evidence against you, okay, when you had the evidence for you, you spent longer time in jail than when it was fabricated purposely against you and there was nobody to defend you. Think about that. How heavy is that? Right? So in the in the second shirt was when Sayyidina Yusuf said Zuleika pulled the shirt from the back. Her husband came in who was a righteous man who was a believer in Sayyidina Yusuf as well. Later on, he became a believer. He's the one who said, yes, yeah, Yusuf, leave this alone. And the judge deemed him innocent. Spent 10 years in jail. The first shirt, he only, he had no one for him. Everyone was against him. And they were trying to make him disappear for good. He spent three days in the well. SubhanAllah. Okay. So things are by Allah's will. What is the last shirt is also an amazing... The last shirt is a marker or a sign of Sayyidina Yusuf's rank and status. And that it symbolizes justice too. Because the first shirt was a source to make Sayyidina Yaqub sad and blind. Right? Because he wept so much he became blind. That first shirt. The evidence that he was so supposedly eaten by the wolf, okay? Sayyidina Yaqub knew this was false, right? And he knew that his brothers had plotted something, and he also knew this is Allah's will, you're not changing it. So, the second shirt, though, was a source to make him happy and to cure his blindness. So this whole story, it fits perfectly with one another. All the bad things that happen get one by one erased, Okay. And justice is, is observed with mercy. There's justice could be observed w- with punishment, and justice can be observed with mercy. Okay. And so what this lesson is, is that if a person has sabr, especially sabr and jameel, then all the bad things would, that happen are going to be reversed. And bad things have to happen in life. It's part of Allah's will that the that the the Bedouins leave the Bedouin lands and go to Egypt. That's not going to happen through nice things. It's going to happen through bad things. You can never get a mass migration through nice things, right? 
You only get a mass migration because something terrible happens. You only have somebody like Sayyidina Musa going to Midian, Prophet Isa bin Maryam going to Alexandria, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam going to Medina, Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam going to Egypt. You, you don't remove someone who's precious in their family, has no issues in their family, without some hardship. So it's going to come with something bad. So bad things have to happen. And ba- what is bad things? Bad things is bad feelings, essentially, right? Painful feelings. That's essentially what it is. So uh, these things have to happen. But if a person has sabr and has uh, mercy and ihtisab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then everything will come back for him. Okay. Now let's talk about some of these dreams and visions. Okay. The first, well, let's talk about all the visions in the Quran. And the dreams mentioned in the Quran, they number uh, six. There are, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, seven. There are seven dreams in the Quran. Each one of these dreams, it launches or initiates a category, a category of types of dreams. Okay. Now, it's not exhaustive, but it's there. Uh, most dreams will fall into one of these categories. The first category, the dream of Ibrahim alayhi salam. What is the dream? Slaughter your son. Okay. So what is the category? Commandments. Dreams can have commands and prohibitions in them. But these commands and prohibitions for us, non-profits, will be within the scope of Sharia or within the scope of the Mubah. Okay. Yo, are we good with... Uh, with Instagram, we on Instagram? Call uh, Nowhere. Yeah, see what he said. You have Nowhere's number? So have you have a Noah's number? Right? Yeah. yeah no, no. Okay. Can't say it on the live stream. <laughs> okay. So, um, no, he's married. Yeah, and he has a kid too. I think he has a kid. No, maybe not. He doesn't have a kid. But it's a command. The dream of Ibrahim alayhi salam is a command. You can be commanded, for example, to give sadaqah. You can be comm- you can be told in a dream and ishara that you need to give sadaqah to so and so, right? That you need to befriend so and so. And the best of these, in terms of understanding them, is something that would have been halal or mandub anyway, right? It's not saying there there you you should not take take that if there's a risk at yourself. For example. Marry so and so. Wait a second. I don't want to marry so and so, right? I don't see why I should marry so. That's a risk. It's a risk. You can have that dream if you wanted to marry them in the first place. So where there's a risk, then no, uh, of your wealth, of your person, of your whatever, of your finances. So, but if there's something men do anyway, then what's the loss? What's the loss, right? That's the best. Also, the best way to interpret dreams for people. So make it a direction to. Avoid something that you shouldn't be avoiding anyway. But you're going to renew the avoidment. Okay. Is that a word, Mr. English major? The avoidment. <laughs> the avoidance. <laughs> renew the avoidance. Renew the, uh, the action that you're doing. So that's the first category. The command of Ibrahim is, the dream of Ibrahim was Amr. What's the second category? The second category is the dream of Yusuf, alayhi salam, that he's going to have 11 planets, the sun and the moon, prostrating to him. So, 
that is the, it's not an Amr. There's no command there. There's no prohibition there. That's a Khabar. It is information. Okay, It's information that Sayyidina Yusuf salam, is receiving about the future. Okay? And that information came to Sayyidina Yusuf very early. Why? What Allah is basically telling him is how good things are going to be. Well, why tell someone how good things are going to be? Because things are about to get bad. Right? That's the wisdom of that dream. Allah is telling him, things will end up like this, in this amazing scene. That is your end result. And you need to know that and keep that in mind, because things right now are going to get very bad very quick. And in span of one or two months, he ends up in the well, then he ends up being sold twice, then he ends up in the slave market, and then he ends up final in his long-term destination in the Aziz's house, which is good, because it was a good house, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places love on Yusuf. So what does that mean? It means everyone else loved him too, right? So the Aziz, when, when uh, he purchased Yusuf as a slave for his wife, okay, to keep her company, because he was a man who was not interested in the affairs of women, nor physically with women. So Zuleikha was an upset woman. She's an upset wife. So he said, I'll get you a toy, basically. Astaghfirullah But that's really what it was. And according to some of the tafasir, I'll get you somebody that you could have around you and whatever you guys do. That was, according to some of the tafasir, the purpose why he did that. But then as soon as he brought Yusuf, he realized that he loved him, right? And that, that's why he says, Akrimi mathwa." Take care of everything about him. Make sure he's eating. Make sure he's dressed because he just loved him right away. When Allah loves somebody, everyone else loves that person too. If their heart's clean, you love that person too. So that, like, there, there is like in a sense uh, a universal, not everything's up for opinion, right? Are there many people who don't like the taste of honey? Not that many, right? Taste of sugar. You got to love it, right? Something that anyone would love. So likewise, spiritually, if your heart is clean, you will love this young man. So he became very, instead of saying, okay, just take him someone to busy yourself with, okay, because he's never around, he became extremely cautious about him. Make sure he eats, make sure he, no one's bothering him, make sure his clothes are cleaned, make sure everything is, he became like a doting step, uh, foster father over Sayyidina Yusuf. So, but that took a while, and so Allah told him the end. So, what is the category of this dream? The category is khabar, uh, news, that will happen in a long time. What's the, the dream that's corollary to this? The Prophet ﷺ's dream of the Umrah. And that is the category of news, of things that will happen in a short time. One year. They made Umrah. They went to make Umrah that year. It didn't happen. They made Umrah the year after that. So that's the second category. Khabar. Okay. Number four. The first prisoner and the second the first prisoner's dream is a bishara. Good news. Like whatever hardship you're in, it's gonna be over. First prisoner was the wine cellar. Okay. So there was the wine cellar and then there was the the, the the baker of the king. They both went into jail at the same time as Sayyidina Yusuf, alayhi salam. Okay? When that happened, what happened was there was a plot to kill the king. 
Okay? There's a plot to kill the king. And that king, uh, he had a taster to make sure his food wasn't poisoned. The taster took the wine and the bread, ate it. They usually get a prisoner, right? You're going to be killed anyway. So your job is to be the taster of the king, to make sure, A, the food is good, but B, also that it's not poisoned. So he's got to eat the food first. So he eats the bread, drinks the wine, and dies. So which one is it, the bread or the wine? He says, all right, both of you are going to jail. So we figured this out. Put both of them in jail. And then they had the trial. In the trial, they just took that same wine, gave it to some animals, took that same bread, gave it to different animals, see which one lived. Well, the animals that ate the bread died. The animals that drank the wine lived. Okay? So that's why they both saw explicit dreams. These dreams are not symbolic dreams. One sees himself giving wine to the king. That's exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to go back to your job. He was acquitted, and he was sent back. Then there was the baker who saw... Ever wonder why does he see a loaf of bread on his head? Right? And the birds eating from it? Because that's what, what you did your crime with. Right? You did your crime with that loaf of bread. So, so that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be crucified. The baker had taken money from some revolutionary groups that wanted the king dead. Right? And he was a traitor. Right? So you're attempted murder. And you're a traitor. Right? So because you're a traitor, you're going to be killed. So, so the first one is the, the first prisoner is a, the category, the fourth category of types of dreams, which is Bisharat. Glad tidings of relief that's coming to you. The, the fifth category, all right, the fifth and sixth are similar. The, the, the prisoner who saw that he'd be crucified and the king who saw that there will be a great drought, right? These two dreams are the same. One, though, is a harm that you cannot change, which is the crucifixion. You're going to be crucified. The second is a harm that you can't change. So it's a warning. It's a warning. So the first one is harm. Something bad's going to happen to you. Now, some say that that baker had made Tawbah at the hands of Satan Yusuf in the jail, entered Islam, and wanted to be purified. So that's good news for him. You're going to be purified, okay, from your sin. You can think about this. Like in the, in the surah, it's in passing, a prisoner has a dream. But in the reality of what happened, that was a major event. You got humiliated. Your whole family is now humiliated. You try to kill the king, and you got caught. Your life is over. Like, we don't realize how, how massive that situation was for that person, right? And so for him to want to just be dead and be purified and be gone from this humiliation was good for him, which is also, this is also a proof that it, of the permissibility to, uh, it's a permissibility to tell people dreams, uh, news, even if it's not good. Because Satan Yusuf does it. Okay. The next dream is the dream of the king, which is a warning. So not all bad things are going to be bad. But there could be a bump in the road on the way. Warning, bump in the road. Warning, detour. Okay. So when you, do, when you have that, that is a dream of the king. You can change it. How do you change it? Saving up. Okay. For seven years, most of what you what you eat, because we're not going to just save for ourselves. We're saving for the whole of the world, because um, Iraq, Syria, Sham, all these Sudan, 
Libya. All these nations came to Egypt to get their food. That's when Egypt earned the nickname Umadunya. The source. Umadunya, the, the source of life for the rest of the world. Because the whole region at that time would have been wiped out by this drought. Okay? So, um, that's that second one. So, it's a warning. Something bad's going to happen. But if you prepare for it, it could be good. Right? It could be good. What's the next one? The last one is the dream of the prophet for uh, regarding the battle of Badr. Regarding the battle of Badr, the prophet وسلم, saw the army of Quraysh as very few in number. Whereas the tr- in, tr- in, in truth, they were very many in number. So what, what kind of category is that? Ru'yat haqa'iqul ashya. The dream of the reality of things. Okay, The reality of things is that they were weak. What was the reality of their impact? The impact. When we say reality, we mean like the effect and the impact. What was the effect and the impact of the Qurayshi army? Very little. They did very little harm to the Muslims. So what, what Allah showed him was the reality or the impact, the final impact of the Quraysh, the Qurayshi army. Okay, That's what the Prophet ﷺ saw. So that's a category of dreams where you see the reality of things. All right, so uh, now you know what you could, yeah you could do with this, uh, Omar. Remove the Patreon. Oh, either make it, yeah, remove the Patreon thing altogether. Just blind it, okay. Increase the whatever that black thing is. Just move that too. And we are going to look at the. Um, there we go. Perfect. And now you could. Put the, yeah, the symmetry thingy. Now, there's a guy named Jawad. Can you look him up? Someone look him up for me. He wrote this great article. It looks like I liked. I, I like the title, at least. Do you, do you, could you look him up? Jawad Qurayshi. Never met him before, but apparently he has an article that I want to read. But I'm just going to read you the summary right now. On these. Um, Symmetry, what's his name? No, no, that's not. That's a different Qurayshi. That, not that I know of. Did you see it on my thread? Jawad Anwar Qurayshi, the ring composition or the symmetry. He says they do know. I didn't know that. You read it. When did you read it? Okay. I'm going to read that uh, symmetry concept soon. Uh, but first, let's just go over... The, let's let's read this um, basic symmetry here of Surah Yusuf. is really amazing. So, the first incident is that Yusuf has a dream. You all see that, right? Okay. At the end of it, at the end of the Surah, what happens... And, and what does he count? 12 incidences. How many brothers does he have? There's 12 brothers, right? They're all 12. So 12 is a, is a number that has some uniqueness here. Okay. And by the way, that Satan, let's talk about Satan Yusuf's dream for a second. He sees the sun and the moon and 11 planets. The question always comes up, 
are the 11 brothers of Yusuf prophets or not, right? In the sun and the moon and the 11 planets, which one of them are light receiving, uh, light giving, and which ones are light receiving? Only the sun is a light giving planet, uh, uh, orb. The moon and the planets receive light pointing that the 11 brothers of Yusuf are not prophets. They're not prophets. They are receiving the light of Yaqub. And the other wisdom on the dream of Sayyidina Yusuf is that the moon here is not his mother, even though he says, my parents. But his mother, Rachel, Rahil, had died. She died shortly after giving birth to Binyamin, Benjamin. Okay? So... But he calls her my mother. So if your father marries another woman, she is a type of mother to you. She's not a regular woman anymore. And of course, there's Sharia rulings. If your father marries another woman, you may never, ever, ever marry that woman. Right? And you could see her without hijab. Even if your father, if your father divorces her, it's makruh to see her without hijab. And the karahiya, the discouragement, is merely for the sake of um, um, people may not know your past history and they may think you're alone with a woman you're not allowed to be alone with that's the source of karahia or that the reason that it her that the rules were removed for you is gone but you may never ever see her without uh, marry her and he may never marry her mothers or her daughters or her, and the prophet added her nieces too okay his nieces are like daughters very very much like daughters so that's the dream of Sayyidina Yusuf. Well, what happens at the end? The dream comes true. All right. And that pro- prostration, of course, is well known as the prostration of tashrif, honor, ihtiram, respect, not abudiyya. Uh, so the second thing, incident, matches with the 11th incident. The second incident is the brothers plot against Sayyidina Yusuf. Okay. The 11th incident is that the brothers okay, learn their lesson and are forgiven. Okay, they, they see Yusuf and they're forgiven. The third incident is that the wife of the Aziz tries to seduce him. Okay, The wife of the Aziz tries to seduce Sayyidina Yusuf. Okay. You can blind that thing. We don't need it right now. Fixing it, okay. Uh, the wife of the Aziz tries to, say, to seduce Sayyidina Yusuf. Well, what happens at the end? She confesses. Now, she didn't have to confess. Sayyidina Yusuf was in jail. His knowledge was needed by the king. If he's just pulled out by the king, people are going to say, well, he's a prisoner who's out of jail because he's useful to the king. So he doesn't want that. Prophets have honor and they have intellect. So he says, no, I'm not leaving this jail unless I'm proven innocent. It's actually one of the things the Prophet Sallallahu said, you don't have to do that. <laughs> If you're pulled out of jail, okay, uh, if, if you're in jail and someone pulls you out, go. You never know if the offer might be, and you can still make yourself innocent later. So he said, I'm not leaving this jail until the king goes and opens an investigation of why I'm here in the first place. And the king opens the investigation and he calls all the women. So what was what was the reason he was in jail in the first place for basically assaulting women, right? 40 women 
were invited by Zuleikha okay, to see how beautiful Yusuf was and for them to stop blaming her for chasing after him. Okay? Because they blamed her for that. He was not put in jail for attacking Zuleikha. Okay? She claimed that he attacked her, but he was put in jail for assaulting those women. Okay? So she invites all these women, and then she dresses, she told just Yusuf to, to, to put some nice clothes on, and she goes up, combs his hair, does everything. And this is like they just had a massive fight, basically, and accusation and drama, and now she's doing this. He's like, what is going on here? She comes, he comes down, and that's when the women go crazy. Okay? It's the difference between the beauty of Prophet Yusuf and the beauty of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Is that the beauty of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was never a carnal temptation for women. Because otherwise he would, they would not be able to be guided. If they keep seeing his face only and not his deen, his character, or his sunnah. And the husbands would hate it. They would not want their wives learning from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They would feel jealousy towards the Prophet. So he comes down and they do tarweed. They lure him. Come on, do this. Take your shirt off. Do this. And all the entire time he's putting his head down, lowering his gaze and refuses to do any of it. Okay. And Zuleikha says, now she starts talking. Uh, the soft stuff didn't work. Now the hard talk comes in and she says, if you don't do it, you're going to jail. He says, jail is better. Okay. And because he's the word of a, he is a prophet, his word happens, right? He said, jail is better. Okay, so he went to jail, right? Uh, there are some things that they say the firasa, beware of the firasa of some people. All prophets have firasa. But also they said some of the, one of the best in firasa in the world was the Aziz. Because what did he say? He says, Be good to this boy. He might be good to us. He might benefit us. He benefited, Zulaikha benefited, all of Egypt benefited, the whole region benefited. He benefited because he entered Islam. Okay. He entered Islam. He was unhappy in his marriage with Zulaikha. He was a regular politician. He had the, the fortune to marry one of the prettiest women. They say that she was, Zulaikha was one the prettiest women who ever had black hair. Like a black-haired woman, she was the most beautiful. Okay, she had large eyes, but she was also sharp. And she was in charge. She was sharp. Okay. As they say, Aisha was red-haired and sharp. But Sayyid Aisha was small in nature. Zuleika was not small in nature. Like, physically, she was not small. She was uh, more on the, like, taller side. She had black hair. And she had, you know, uh, very light skin. And she was a boss type of person. And he was not happy in the house. He was not that type of person. He could never satisfy Zulaikha. She was always unhappy. So when this incident happened, ended up becoming a reason for him to get out of this marriage. Had a fight with Zulaikha. So he didn't want to be married with Zulaikha anyway. But, but the real benefit was that he ends up entering Islam and becoming a trusted advisor to Sayyidina Yusuf. Whereas... Sayyidina Yusuf in the beginning was just like a boy in the house, get this water, get the food, get that, little chores, then moved up and up, but then eventually he became, it was now the reverse, the Aziz became his advisor when Yusuf was elevated. Okay? He benefited Zulaikha because the word he said was, Asa and Yanfa'ana. Perhaps he will benefit us. 
how does he benefit Zulaikha? Benefit Zulaikha a lot. Zulaikha is in is shown in the Quran in two of her states, in the in the stories in three of her states. Okay, so in the first story, what is what is the state of Zulaikha when when Yusuf in the beginning of the surah, Nafs Ammar. There's no doubt about that. She is a evil person, right? What she, her nafs wants, she's just going to go for. Yusuf doesn't want to, to uh, be intimate with her. She forces it. The women uh, uh, make fun of her. She's going to do something about it, okay? She's going to bring Yusuf in front of him. Yusuf still doesn't want to do anything. I'm going to put him in jail and, and, and scheme to put him in jail. And all the women here are going to say that he was trying to assault us, okay? And that's why he goes to jail. So that's the first time. Now, in this trial, which is now the ninth, the fourth matter, the ladies try to, to tempt Yusuf. The ladies confess to Yusuf's innocence. This is fourth and ninth incident in the surah. The women come and they say, no, no, Yusuf did not do nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. We, were just, we said it because we wanted our friend Zulaikha to be let off the hook. Right? We blamed him so we could let Zulaikha off the hook. Zulaikha was a bully. She bullied these women into lying, okay? Like she was that type of strong personality. As Sayyidina Yusuf, okay, Allah says in the Quran, in the He calls, when Allah doesn't say something is azim, okay, for nothing. He had a tough enemy. When you have an attractive woman who is very smart, who has the personality and the fire inside of her, you, and she becomes your enemy. You are in big trouble. She lured all the elites. She was able to convince the whole society that Yusuf was a criminal. Okay? And nobody could do anything about it. Her husband was the high-ranking politician. He had to step back. All he could say is, Yusuf, just ignore her. So, but Zuleikha now, in this ninth incident, not only do the women all say, oh, time passed. We, the friendship with Zuleikha is like, scattered now now you could say the truth they all say the truth well guess who else says the truth Zuleikha herself time passed on Zuleikha and her marriage window closed and she went into a great depression okay her dream was Yusuf she never got that her marriage with the Aziz was miserable so you might be uh like all fiery and everything in your youth but as the window closes you get more and more modest about things depressed really she became depressed. She was in a state now that she could see the truth. Her nafs went down a little bit. She could see the truth. She saw the truth, and she admitted the truth. And she said, So I want both men to know. Because Yusuf was not there. He was in the jail. He wouldn't attend the hearing. I want both men to know. I want my husband to know I did not sleep with Yusuf. And the, all, the verse also means I want Yusuf to know that I'm behind his back and I'm saying the truth. Like, I could have lied. She, no, she was not asked about whether Yusuf attacked her or not. Right? She brought it up. Okay? I was the one tempting him. He didn't do anything. So, Zuleikha now, what kind of nafs is she? Nafs lawama. She's nafs lawama. Now, here's what is not mentioned in the Quran, but it's told in the stories of Sayyidina Yusuf. Zuleikha actually... Her state goes down and down and down and down to the point 
that she ends up having to work menial jobs. She lives in a small apartment and she's no longer in the high society of Egypt. And she starts practicing the teachings of Yusuf. In other words, she's a convert to Sayyidina Yusuf's teachings. She knows that Sayyidina Yusuf had a teaching, right? She She's a convert to that. And she, whatever basic religion was there was at the time. And she actually develops to become nefs mutma'inna. Although her worldly status is so low, but her work on her nafs went so high up. And why did the ulama say this? He said, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not fulfill the dream of a person until they attain a nafs al-mutma'inna. And her, her dream that she could never even fathom, sometimes you don't even know what you want, well, was to be with Yusuf. And she knew that she lost it. And it's never going to happen. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all the way at the end, after a lot of things happened, if there's all over, the drought's over, the food's over, everyone's eating everything, Sayyidina Yusuf is on his carriage, and he passes by, and he sees a woman, he says, pick up this old woman. She's walking. Pick up the old woman. And she looks, he looks, and she covers her face again. She's embarrassed to be in the state that she's in. He looks and he says, Zulecha? It's you? It was Zulecha. Right? The age difference between them is not much, like five or seven or eight years, right? Nine years maybe. So she starts telling him what happened in life. While he was on the up and up, she just went down and down and down and down in life. But she also submitted to that. And she found a spiritual development in that. So she had attained a nafs al-mutma'inna. And Sayyidina Yusuf saw in her a woman who was worthy of marriage. And he proposed to her. And Allah Ta'ala inspired him that there, she had been through so much hardship. There is a well. will kick up a, Jibreel will kick a well for you, a spring for you. If she bathes in that spring, her, her, some of her youth will come back. So all that hardship, the ruined hands and wrinkles, all that will go away. So she will be someone who gets some of her youth back and she got Yusuf back. Okay. That's because she attained the nafs al-mutma'in. She just kept accepting everything that Allah brought to her. That's iman. That's not personality. It's not anything. That is iman. What Allah brings, I'm accepting. I'm a 100% at fault for what happened. None of this situation is anyone's doing but my own. Okay. Sometimes people end up in a situation and they feel angry. Okay. Who are you angry with? Are you going to be angry with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No. You blame yourself. That's what she did. And Allah gave her. And it is said by some of the Arifin that when a person reaches nafs mutma'inna, the first gift they're given is what they would have loved in life will be given to them. So much that they will basically never ask for anything of the dunya again. They won't need anything. Nothing can top this. And therefore that's how they just go for akhirah and spiritual matters because they've already had of what they have of the dunya. Okay. So that was the story of the ladies confessing to Yusuf's innocence. Okay. Now we go after the ladies try to convince Yusuf, Yusuf goes to jail. That's event number five, and it matches event number eight, which is that Yusuf gets released from jail. And he spends those ten years in the jail. 
is, is there some commentary on those 10 years? Yes, yeah, some people say, and Allah knows best, that Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam, he, he used to receive Sayyidina Jibreel, he used to see Sayyidina Jibreel um, many times in the well, twice a day. So he saw him about a handful of times, twice a day. But in the, in the jail, once a week. So he asked, why, don't, why do you only come to me once a week? And he said, whereas in the well, you came to me twice a day. He said, in the well was not your choice, but the jail is your choice. You said, jail is better, so you have more strength to handle what is your choice, or else you wouldn't have said it, right, than uh, what is not your choice. So he ends up 10 years in the jail doing Ibadah, and then the 6th and 7th, where does the story turn? It turns on the 6th and 7th incident. The king has a dream. Yusuf is able to interpret the dream. Okay. And, and in this dream, sequence is an important part of dream interpretation. You see here sequence, which is namely that he sees seven fat cows, then seven skinny cows. And the skinny cows eat the fat cows, so the future eats the past. The future is always eating the present and the past, right? So that indicates that the um, seven skinny cows, skinny years, bad years, drought, will come after the seven good years. Okay, so um, there's probably more to say about the symmetry of Sayyidina Yusuf's dream, but um, there's probably a lot more, but none... Uh, uh, Ultimately, this these types of things, there's just um, non-stop, you can learn lessons. Let's now turn to some of the things we learn about dream interpretation Okay, in this surah. When it comes to dream interpretation in the surah, let me just open up some thoughts that I had written out here. Okay. Let's get the whole thread here. First thing is that the dreams come to prophets... Believers and non-believers. This dream comes, to, first dream comes to Sayyidina Yaqub, uh, Yusuf, prophet. So no big deal, we expect that. Second thing, second dream comes to the prisoners. One's guilty, one's innocent. We don't know if they were believers or not. Some say they believed, some say there's, we don't have no knowledge. The third dream though comes to whom? It comes to the non-believing king. Now these were not non-believers as in pagans. But even if it, they were, we believe that dreams can come to pagans. Firaun had a dream. Dreams are salih or sadiq, or both. A dream that is salih means it's for your benefit. It's showing Allah loves you. It's showing Allah is going to do something good for you. It's showing your good state. Okay. Salih means good. And that only comes to a believer. Dream can be sadiq. Okay. And every dream that's salih is sadiq. But a dream could be sadiq, sadiqa, but not saliha. Sadiqa means it's true. It doesn't mean it's for your favor. So the dream that Pharaoh saw about Musa, okay, his dream was that a fire was lit up in Sham, in Palestine, and it grew and grew and grew until it lit up all of Egypt, including the palace of the Pharaoh. Okay. That dream was not in his favor. It was against him. But it was truthful. Okay? It was haq. 
So that's what they call ru'ya sadiqa. It's true. And true dreams come to kings so that they could take national action, right? Action across the whole country. So those are the types of dreams. They can be saliha or sadiqa. And every dream that is saliha is sadiqa. But not every dream that's sadiqa is saliha. Let me tell you a story. Story about, This is a story about a scholar. I believe he was in... In Iraq. He's an Arab scholar in Iraq. And this dream is not f- so long ago. This was maybe just a couple, n- not so long ago, basically, in the modern period of time. The dream told the scholar, the Prophet came to a scholar, and he said, I want you to go to so and so and give him glad tidings of Jannah. But that so and so was not a Muslim. He was a Christian. And that Christian was not even a practicing Christian. Just a regular guy. Okay? Regular guy. He knew him. So he thought, I think this dream is not right. Because that does that's not to make any sense to our theology, right? So he goes to sleep again. Next night, he sees the prophet again. The Prophet Sallallahu recites the verse of Quran. Okay. Why do you not answer when the Prophet calls you to what gives you life? Go and tell so-and-so that he has glad tidings from me of Jannah. I can't believe what he's seeing here. He's, he's a scholar. But he also knows that this is the truth and it is from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he must obey it. But he's not going to obey it right away in the, in the way just, oh, you're... He's going to talk first. He gets to the door. Not that he's not going to obey it right away. He's going to obey it. But he wants to ask questions first. He goes to the man. And while he's there, he sees, he hears the music, smoke, cigarettes, all this stuff. He knocks on the door. He says, can I come in and talk to you? He says, yes. Comes in. He says, what is, uh, what do you do exactly, privately? You have any spiritual interests privately? He said, no, not at all. What you see here, right? He said, then... Have you done anything recently okay, that would warrant some something happening for you? He said, no. He said, all right, so I just have to follow the... I can't find the solution to this puzzle. I just follow the prophet's command now. So he says, okay, I'm here because I saw a vision of the prophet. The messenger, Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he doesn't even believe it. the guy's a Christian, Arab Christian. Prophet says to, to tell, for me to tell you that you have glad tidings of paradise. So the man, he gets a little bit emotional. Okay? He gets a bit emotional. And he says, Thank you. So now he says, Well, let me get you some tea. Let me they're sitting around chit-chatting. While the guy's making tea for him, he remembers. He said, Sheikh. There was a night, a few nights ago, that I had extra food. I went out and I saw a woman with some kids. I gave her the food, okay? And she put her hands up and said, may Allah give you Jannah. That's it. That was what happened. Maybe it was Thursday night. Who knows? Maybe she was a state of ijaba. The, the dua was answered. 
That's where the Prophet said, the dua was answered. Go tell her about, of, that he's been given Jannah. So no one put, he didn't put two and two together until afterwards in the, in the meeting. And then after that, he became extremely interested and he took the shahada on the spot. Took shahada on the spot. Now that man did not go too long before his family was so infuriated with him the Arab Christian is very hard to become Muslim. They killed him. He, short, he only lived a short while afterwards. They killed him. It's a fitna to tell somebody, a regular person, even, even if he was a scholar, it would be a fitna to tell him, you're going to Jannah, and then he lives a 40-year life, right? <laughs> it would be a fitna for him, right? But you see that the wisdom of the Prophet coming and telling him, tell him, because his time, his ajal is coming. Like, in the other life they see what we don't see his time is coming you need to tell him now so he could take action because he's dying gonna die soon so he did in fact die shortly thereafter his family was so enraged that he entered islam that they killed him okay so it's as if um it, it, and it turned out that now all the Aqidah questions, how do you tell a Christian he's entering Jannah? There's a Christian, all, all the Arab Christians, they know what Islam is, right? So it's not like they have the excuse. But um, the scholar was perplexed. It all got resolved that night. That's why the Buddha says uh, the truth about the Prophet ﷺ, Prophet ﷺ does not test us with that which would confuse our intellects. There is no contradiction here. Yeah, there's no contradiction. Because if you said, just go tell a Christian he's going to enter Jannah, we'd be like, well, what's the point of Sharia then? Like, what's the point of all the effort then? Well, what is the truth of Islam then? So it was all resolved. So that is on uh, non-believers receiving dreams and the nature of the non-believers' dream and the regular and the and the believers' dream. Dreams can occur and come become realities. Um, in, in different ways one way is or the main way in which dreams become a reality is simply by being correctly interpreted okay by being correctly interpreted the prophet wasallam said a true dream is on the wing of a bird right if it is interpreted it falls Imagine something is on the wing of a bird. Imagine the bird puts his... Birds don't necessarily always have to fly. They can soar. They could like... Uh, what's the word? Glide. So a bird flies up and then it glides for a long period of time. The eagle glides forever. The eagle is the one bird that has powerful wings, right? The eagles chase a storm. They chase storms. There's the only bird that chases storms. So that it could fly all the way up above the storm. And above the storm, the air is going up. So the eagle can go really high up. The eagle goes higher up than any other creature. Okay? goes really high up because the wind pushes it. It puts its wingspan out. And the wind pushes it all the way up. And it's, it rests its wings like this. It can rest its wings like this for hours. Doing nothing. Just having its wings out. The air is pushing the wings up. So it's not even putting effort. Like if you put your hands like this, you're going to get tired. But imagine you have massive fans putting your hands up, right? So the eagle spends no effort. Imagine now you had a dream on the wing of a bird. Eventually, 
right? That wing has to collapse down into its chest again. So it would fall. The dream would fall. The Prophet said, the dream is on the wing of a bird. If it is interpreted, it falls. Okay, it falls. Okay. Now notice, it falls, birds are in the sky. Therefore, it's going to take some time, depending on what kind of bird, right? There's some birds that don't go high up at all. Like the robin probably doesn't even pass a tree, right? Whereas other birds go really high up, okay? So it could happen short in a short time. It could happen in a long time. Now, so that's the, if the condition here is it has to be interpreted correctly, soundly. If it's interpreted incorrectly, that's nothing. It's just meaningless. So the first dream of Yusuf, a.s. is not interpreted. If you notice, there's no interpretation given. Whereas there are interpretations given for the other three dreams. They happen right away. The prisoners, they get released very quickly shortly thereafter, like days because that was like a bird that uh, that was a bird that doesn't fly high. But the king's dream, it started to happen, but it ultimately became a reality after seven years. So the seven good years, that's not much news, right? Because Egypt is a rich country. It always, at that time, it always having good years, right? So what would be the truth of the dream actually ha- uh, 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 being true is the seven bad years. So the king trusted Yusuf for the first seven years. Then he saw with his own two eyes that the drought is actually happening. So seven years is a pretty long time. Okay. So it manifested, it, the beginning of the manifestation was after seven years, and then it took seven years to complete, right? It's for the drought to come. So that's when a dream is interpreted, it begins to take fold. It starts to happen. Everything starts to roll in place. Now, that may take one week. It might take seven years or ten years. But it, it is moving. Now, as for the dream of Sayyidina Yusuf, it was never interpreted. Sayyidina Yaqub did not interpret it. Sayyidina Yusuf did not interpret it. They may have known the interpretation in their heart, but they didn't speak of the interpretation. And therefore, it came way later. Because they kept it in, it came way later. So these are, this is the uh, understanding regarding when a dream would actually happen in real life. Okay. So that's, that's the next thing. Now, not all the dreams were good news. So as we already mentioned, it is permissible for a dream to be interpreted the good, for the bad news to be told to a person. So in this case, the, uh, the prisoner is going to be crucified. That's bad news. You're allowed, if, if that's what the dream was, that is a message from Allah. It's not up to you. Say it or not say it. Okay? You, he came to, it's a stranger. This is not your loved one that you can make a judgment. Like Sayyidina Yaqub does not tell Sayyidina Yusuf the meaning of the dream, right? Sayyidina Yusuf figures out later on that that's what the dream is, right? But at the time, Sayyidina Yaqub doesn't say it because that's his son. He, ha, he is allowed, okay, to tell him, uh, to, to keep it from him. But this is a stranger asking you for a fatwa. A dream interpretation is a fatwa. Okay? Because a dream is a wahi from Allah. Except that it is wahi without new law. Okay? It is a wahi from Allah. And if someone asks you about it, that is a message from Allah you have to tell them. So he therefore uh, told Sayyidina Yusuf, uh, told the prisoner 
that you will be crucified and you will be left hanging enough until the birds will eat from your head. Okay. The, 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 the vultures will come and eat from your head. Okay. And he saw the bread on his head because the bread was the reason why you committed the crime. Okay. So that's the, that's one thing about informing people of when you can inform people, when you cannot inform people, when you must inform people. Okay. So you, you, you don't always have to inform your child if you think it's going to mess him up. Okay. What else do we have? All right. Dreams can be symbolic or explicit. Of the four dreams in the surah, two were symbolic, two were explicit, and, well, the one of them was a bit of both, symbolic and explicit. So what was the symbolic one, the first one, and the last one, right? Which ones were explicit? The prisoner's dreams. But one of the explicit dreams had a symbolism in it, okay? Explicit means as you see it, this is what happens. The, the, the prisoner saw the wine server. He said, I saw myself in a dream doing my old job, serving wine to the king. All right, what was the interpretation? You will go back to your old job and serve wine to the king. Exactly what was seen was interpreted. And what happened? That's called nus, explicit. The symbolic dream is called the dream that is marmuz. Marmuz means symbolic. Planets, stars, suns, cows, grains okay now the prisoner's dream the other prisoner saw himself uh with bread on his head and the birds eating from it okay so that was symbolic too it was symbolic but the birds was real it was mixed it was symbolic and the bird was real so it was mixture between symbolic and explicit likewise the king's dream is mixed between symbolic and explicit because it was true that there will be fat cows in the seven years. And this cows did get skinny in the other seven years, in the drought years. And the stalks were healthy and, 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 and green and good in the first seven years, and they were dry in the last seven years. But what was symbolic about that? Well, the cows eating the other cows because cows don't eat other cows. So that's clearly symbolic so therefore dreams can be purely symbolic purely explicit or a mixture of both and that's a very important for dream interpretation to know that not everything can be symbolic sometimes it could be straight up explicit as that's going to be exactly what it is okay Right, I think we actually covered everything here. Last thing we're going to say. Should not ever tell a dream to anyone who may envy you. And say to Aisha, radiallahu ta'ala anha, she had a great dua. She had a dua. Allahumma arini ru'ya sadiha sadiqa, sadiqa ghir kathiba, nafi'a ghir dharra. Sayyidah Isha radiallahu ta'ala anha. This is transmitted in Imam al Nawawi, um, Kitab al Athkar. 
كانت تفعل عائشة رضي الله عنها فيما ذكره النووي في كتاب الأذكار أنها كانت إذا أرادت النوم تقول اللهم إني أسألك رؤيا صالحة صادقة غير كاذبة نافعة غير ضارة What is difference in the words of رؤيا The any dream see, anything seen in the daytime is with a tamarbuta anything seen in the nighttime is with an alif it doesn't matter if it's a dream or in the wake it's the seeing that matters but in the most cases what you see at night at least in the old days is a dream because in nighttime you didn't see anything in the old days right in like all of human history minus the last hundred years nighttime comes you don't see anything so the the vision of the night became synonymous with a dream okay all seeing is seeing seeing with this eye or seeing with this eye seeing is seeing but if it's in the daytime it's with a tamarbuta so therefore most people imagine most people have become synonymous with vision of the eyes ru'ya with a tamarbuta is the vision of the eyes ru'ya with an alif has now become known to be a dream but in truth in arabic language Ru'ya with a tamarbuta is any seeing in the day, dream or physically. And ru'ya with an alif is any seeing at night, dream or physical, okay, or literal. And remove the alif completely and the tamarbuta, and you have ra'i, okay, and that's opinion, whether day or night. Your opinion in your mind is called a ra'i. Ra'i is the seeing of the intellect. All right, so that's a, a, an important thing. Why do we say that? Is why is that important to say? Because the Quran speaks of the Isra and describes it as a ru'ya with an alif, and people who are not aware of this feature in the Arabic language, they say, "Ah, there, it's a dream." No, we didn't say it's not a dream. Ru'ya with an alif is any seeing at night, whether it's with the heart or with the eyes. Okay. And many people also wonder why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَمَا أَرَيْنَاكَ الرُّؤْيَ الَّتِي وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَ الَّتِي أَرَيْنَاكَ إِلَّا فِتْنَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَالشَّجَرَةَ الْمَلْعُونَةَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ Allah speaks about the Isra and says we have not shown you what you, we shown you except as a fitna and the cursed tree in the Quran. What does a cursed tree have to do with the Isra? Right? Many people are totally confused by this. Well the answer is that there were this the, before the fitna of the isra it was a fitna because it's testing how much you believe okay to believe that see the belief is very simple we are attached to causes and effects right allah is telling i created all these causes and effects therefore i can undo them i could do something i could produce a without b if B always produces A in our life, I can. Allah is saying, I can produce A without B. And that's what the first fitna was, right? And so many people left Islam because of that. But the, there was a fitna before that. And that was a fitna where Allah describes the hellfire as having trees in it. Well, why is that a fitna? Well, because wouldn't the trees burn? Trees need water. So Abu Jahl went around making fun of the Prophet saying there's a tree he tells us there's a tree in hellfire have you ever seen a tree grow 
in fire. These are opposites. Allah is saying a tree in hell to teach you and to say to you, do not put your faith in cause and effect. It's a limit. It's a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why are you making this absolute? Well, guess what else? Tree in hell is not the only, did not only come in the Quran. There's another tree that was burning. Time of Musa, the burning bush. Allah brought the same thing because all humans know that trees, all humans know that trees, wood burns, right? It doesn't take you long to know that wood burns. Okay, maybe modern times people don't use fire as much. But all of human history, humans have needed fire. And very quickly you learn, we use trees to make fire. So when Allah wants to show you that, do not put any, these, this causes and effect world is not absolute. It's created. And it can be negated. He did this for Sayyidina Musa, salam. And on top of that, it was as follows. It was raining. It was a fresh bush with green leaves it was and it was on fire the rain was not putting out the fire and the fire was not burning the leaves and on top of that fresh trees don't go on fire in the first place you can't light a fresh do you ever take a fresh twig and throw it in the fireplace it doesn't burn you need it to be dried out first you need to take all the twigs that you you collect you collect them and you put them somewhere and you wait a month or two then that becomes dry. Then it burns right away. So nothing about this scene made any sense to Sayyidina Musa Like to anybody. It would not have made the burning bush. is one of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in the Quran, right? That he comes in. He sees it's raining, but there's a fire. How is it? And by the way, when he saw it, he said, oh, it's raining. It's, we don't know where we're going. He told his family. He had his both wives. He had one or two children. One wife was pregnant, and he was also, he had a servant, a man that lived with him, a boy that lived with him as a servant. So he's told them all, there's a fire over there, let me go check it. They said, what fire? They couldn't see it. Because what he saw was with his heart, right? He saw what they could not see it. And the height, the highest of spiritual seeing is when you see it with this eye and this eye. Okay. So Sayyidina Musa salam went in the rain and he saw a fire. The rain was not putting out the fire. The fire was not releasing smoke. The fire was not releasing heat. The fire was not consuming the tree. None of this made sense. At this point, Musa stared at it, stared at it, stared at it and became bewildered. Then he heard, Ya Musa, inni and Allah, I am the Lord. Take your sandals off. And that's when Allah showed him the miracles. And then Allah spoke to him at length. That meeting was not a short meeting. It was a long meeting. In which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then told Musa everything that happened to him. And then he showed him the miracles. He showed him that all of this absolute cause and effect that you think is the truth is not the truth. It's just Allah wants it that way and he can negate it if he wishes. So he put his hand in his pocket and it came out like a light bulb. He put through his staff and it became a serpent. The moment he touches it again, it becomes a staff again, as it was. So nothing is as it seems. Okay. Then he was commanded to go to Fir'aun and he asked for Harun uh, to be his assistant. And he was granted that wish. Sayyidina Musa was in such a state, he forgot his family. 
he went straight to Egypt. He started walking straight to Egypt, right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to, astaghfirullah, uh, then Allah ta'ala sent Jibreel alayhi salam to tell the boy that was with them where Musa was going and to inspire him, go that way, go that way, go that way. And they followed and they caught up to him. But Musa was in such a state when he was said, go to the Pharaoh now, immediately. Allah doesn't wait. Allah doesn't need a schedule. You are a prophet, go to Musa, go to Pharaoh's house now. From the burning bush, he walked straight to Pharaoh's house. And he got there sometime, obviously sometime later, some few days later, and it was evening time. And he knocked straight onto Pharaoh's house. Okay? Allah doesn't wait. He doesn't need a schedule. Go straight there. He went with that same clothes straight to the Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh tried to kill Musa several times, failed. So it reminded me of this man who said he posted a picture of a heart surgery, a success story in heart surgery. And he is one of these apostated people who worship science. And he said, where is your God? Science did this. I'm like, fool, who gave you the heart to operate on in the first place? <laughs> right? Heart transplant, heart surgery. Where did the heart? Oh, we f- science fixed it, not God. Who gave the heart in the first place? Who created all the rules and the laws of nature and the cause and effect that science relies on in the first place, right? So it's like imagining that this is all just like an absolute that has to be here, and it's not the case. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we can stop here and let's talk, um, see what questions you have. We have gifts, let's see. Let's see. MashaAllah. Oh, from Medina. A rug from Masjid in Nebawi. MashaAllah. They really tied it really tight here. I think it's from Masjid in Nebawi. You have a makhas? What's this? Gotta get the right angle here to use this knife. What is that? What are these boards? Oh, okay, look. So we're gonna have basically... uh, Oh, this is a rug for Meshit and Nebuli. Look at this. Okay, beautiful. I think it's from Masjid Nebuli. Oh, it definitely is because it's got the Saudi uh, swords on it. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Most likely we're gonna do. Um, one more year. We're gonna eke it out. Daughter Fetz classes, part-time classes, at MBIC, at the Masjid. By next spring, Daughter Fetz will move to a separate location because there's no room here. All these p- pictures and this rug and all these other things are going to be what we does to decorate daughter fats with. Oh, yeah. Right? That's what makes sense. Let's see. 
MashaAllah. Take this real quick. This is a beautiful rug from Masjid Nabu. Here we go. Hasbi Rabbi Jallallah. MashaAllah, gorgeous Turkish uh, calligraphy piece here. And this is my favorite, by the way. This, we have this at MBIC. If you come to MBIC, we have a big one of this etched in wood. Not, not the other script, just the wood. And if anyone who's been to MBIC knows this, that we have this. Gorgeous piece here. I love this. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, amazing. Let's see what else you have. Let's see. This is a hilya of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Yes, this is a hilya on the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, just like they have it in Turkey. All right, hilya of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So we are really set to go. Now we just need the place. And by the way, if you want to hang out with us all summer, you can come. And we're working on getting, we have a guy's house. There's a house we're renting out just for the guys. If you're out there and you listen to nothing but facts and you want to say, oh, I want to spend all summer in New Jersey, attending the live stream, going to classes, attending Joma, attending all the other things that we do here and all the trips that we take, you can do that. Okay, go to daughterfets.org and the brothers, we have accommodation for the brothers. Okay. We're looking for a house for the sisters if sisters want to come. And here is another hilya. Another hilya. Very beautiful. So our daughter Fet's decorations are really set to go. Yet another hilya. Okay. No, this is not a hilya. This is a writing of all the names of the prophets. All the names of the MBA. Okay. Who was Prophet Yasin? You know who's Prophet Yasin? Yeah, but most likely it's Ilyas. Yeah. Ilyasin. Ilyasin, yeah. Ilyas, Ilyasin, Yasin. All the same person. Another one here. Gorgeous Helia here. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, MashaAllah. We we have we have the whole roomy store. We have yes. We have the whole thing. Uh, I want to address something, a little bit of a polemic. Okay. A little bit of a polemic. Uh, I had said that the armies of the Murabitun, Salahuddin Ayyubi, the Othmani Empire, Ottoman Empire, these were the th- three uh, armies that defended Islam against the Mongols and the Crusaders, okay? And the Shia, the Safavids too. And the Mughals. And I had said that all four of these, they were Ashaira. And what I, I never said that they had no Hanabila amongst them. Of course they had. That Salah Din Ayyubi had a lot of Hanabila amongst them. Because the Sham was filled with Hanabila, right? Such as... Um, um, Ibn Qudama was was in, heavily involved in Salah Din's army. 
Salah al-Din Ayyubi, his official taqid that he had promoted, that had to be recited in public, was called Al-Aqidah al-Salahiyya. This is an Ashari creed, right? Yes, uh, Abdullah bin Yasin, who was the founder of the Murabitun, from Tunisia, he went down to that West African area. The man is an Ashari. It's well documented. Top of that, Yusuf ibn Tashfin, who becomes the leader of the leader of the Murabitun. He was not the first leader, but he became like he was like the third leader, the fourth leader, and he's the one who had all the success. Who was his chief judge and his mustashar? Ibn Rushd al-Jad. Ibn Rushd, the grandfather, was his number one advisor. And he literally asked him about Aqidah. And he says, yes, go with the Ashari. Right? So he asked him. Uh, some people are saying some things about the Ashari's. And, and Ibn Rushd al-Jad responds. And therefore, he took that as the official Aqidah of the Murabitun. Okay? So the Murabitun were Ashari, there's no doubt about it. Now there's a brother, his name is Knowledge North, who put this, and I think he was annoyed at first, but then we actually, he's a good brother, because we had a good exchange. He's a Athari, or a Salafi, right? Um, but we had a good exchange, which I was fine with, okay? And so because of the adab of the exchange, I felt like he's, uh, you know, I felt warm towards the brother. But he did initially put up a, a post and said, this is deception, this is lies, or untrue, or whatever, and I just wanted to set the record straight. So if the, whatever the brothers could point this to him, the, the brother at Knowledge North, um, uh, that it is, none of this is untrue. The Mughals were Maturidis. The Ottomans, show me, the, the Ottomans were Maturidis. It's not even a discussion. I don't think anyone disputes that. So Rahadin al-Ayyubi, while yes, for sure he had Hanabila with him, and uh, and in that little video clip that someone clipped out, there was no bashing of Hanabila at all. We're praising them, right? But it's just saying that Salah al-Din was, was, was an Ashari. Okay? He was, he was a, pretty sure he was a Shafi'i and an Ashari. Okay? Because in Sham they have Hanaf, uh, Hanafis were Ashari's. Not all Hanafis are Maturidis in there. So that's, that's documented. There's no doubt about that. And the Murabitun, who saved Andalus. Okay? The Murabitun were Ashara. Okay? They saved Andalus. Yusuf bin Tashfin. Ibn Khaliqan has a... a doc, it's documented that he, Yusuf bin Tashfin adopted that creed. Well, why do we say this? Because in our belief... Allah does not change the state of a people until they change the state of themselves, right? So if if the state of the Muslims becomes better, clearly, collectively, the hearts also became better. Allah would not have improved the state of Muslims collectively if their hearts were not changed collectively. And it could be that one single individual Muslim is on the right track and he does not have success in this dunya. Many prophets were killed. Prophets did not have any followers. Sayyidina Hussein, is anyone going to be better than Sayyidina Hussein from our Ummah when the Prophet said he is the chief of the youth of paradise and he did not fulfill his mission that he intended in this world? So they were successful with Allah and yet in this world, Allah had a different plan. 
That's at the individual level. At the group level, you will not have a group at the group level of the ummah go up or down except that it is a reflection of the, their state. If their state is good, their aqidah and their amal and their ibadah is good, they will find a collectively rise. If it is bad, they will collectively go down. And you could go down there, uh, go in Surah Al-Isra and read in the tafsir of Surah Al-Isra, this comes up. In the beginning and the end of Surah Al-Isra, it, it is made clear that when the Muslims are in a collectively good state, okay, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah elevates them. When they are collectively in a bad state, then Allah decreases them. Is that not the case with the Bani Israel too? As soon as they committed sins, As soon as you commit sins, collectively, not one person or two people, collectively, we send upon you that which will humble you. And as soon as you are in a good state, okay, collectively, we elevate you. Therefore, we should look, when the Muslims are collectively, as an ummah, in a good state against their enemies, and in the world, well, what were they upon? Total fair question to ask. It's also a fair question to ask, what is the, what do we know about the deen of the conqueror of Constantinople? Because the Prophet said, Ni'mal jaysh wa ni'ma amiru A blessed army, and how blessed, ni'm, excellent, is the leader of that army. The emir is going to be the khalifa, obviously. It's not going to be the mid-level uh, uh, general. No, it's the leader of the army, the emir. And is the Prophet going to say, Ni'am, Amiru Dharika Jais, for Mubtada? So, so, why do we have to ask that? Well, because there are things that happen after the time of the Prophet, after the time of the Sahaba, after the time of the Tabi'in, that became questions. We want to know the truth of these questions. These questions did not come to the Sahaba. It didn't come to the Tabi'in. We want to know the truth of those questions. So these are nawazil fil aqidah. There are nawazil in aqidah. Nawazil, new matters. We, we need to know the truth. So that's why it's important to look at the scholars who came later who faced those questions. Okay? And at that time, this was very late in the Ummah. This is, we're talking, what are we, 1500s? When was Constantinople conquered? 1500s of the Common Era? So what, eight, nine hundred of the seven, eight, nine hundred of the uh, of the Hijri era? Many masail had been brought up. Okay? A lot of masail had been brought up. And a thing does not really enter the consciousness of all scholarship and codifies a scholarship until it becomes a mass fitna. So yeah, so when the Sahaba went to, to Damascus, were there atheists and questioners? I'm sure. When the Sahaba went to Iraq, were they? Yeah, I'm sure. But was it a mass fitna that would trigger a collective response, a need for a response? No, not at the time. That happened when the Mu'tazila came around. The Mu'tazila were the prick that forced the Ummah to come with a response. So, yes, something may exist in the beginning, but doesn't exist enough to elicit a, a codified response. These things that happen in our religion, they, or in any social movement, they always exist in whispering on the side. You can ignore it. But once that whispering becomes like a loud crescendo, it requires now, we're all responding, and everyone's responding in a different way. And the best person to co bring that response, that ends up becoming codified, solidified, and copy and pasted for everyone. Right? Copy and pasted for everyone. 
in any fatwa on on any matter, there are probably 50 fatwas out there. But as time goes on, we will see which one is the best one. That's the one we copy and paste to everybody. And that's what, for example, the Ash'ari Qayr becomes. A brother asks, yes, we do praise the Ash'ari for responding to the atheist, but we do not apply a foreign concept or framework to our Athar. So my response to that is that, number one, for you not to do that is fine. That's the Hanbali Creed, right? No problem. But, for you to, to the 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 tasawur that it's foreign, I would say is false. Mantiq is not foreign. Mantiq is fitri. It's universal. It's self-evident. Mantiq is self-evident. The organization of thoughts, the organization of language, the organization of meaning, the organization of uh, lawazim. Okay, uh, these things. This is what mantiq is all about. That's fitri. That is a universal thing. Proof of that being that every Muslim recognizes usul al-fiqh. What is usul al-fiqh? It is mantik as applied to the meaning intended in the Quran and Hadith. Mantik is broader than usul al-fiqh. Usul al-fiqh is focused on what does Allah and His Messenger intend. Okay, and then there's khas and am, and words have to be defined, and then there's mawana and there's qara'in, and there's all sorts of. Well, these things apply. To all thought, too. That's what we call mantiq. It is making sure your conclusions, your deriving of conclusions, your understanding of meanings is sound. No different than how grammar makes sure that your speech is sound. Usul al-fiqh makes sure that your istidlal bil-kitab wa-sunnah is sound. So, um, overall, I would say it may have started off with a bit of a couple jabs here and there, but I think that um, discussion with those brothers knowledge north and otherwise uh, the other brothers was like nice in the sense of adab and it didn't get into some craziness and who needs craziness right who needs this when you have all sorts of enemies wolves surrounding the muslims and uh, and islam and trying to attack the last thing is you have ikhtilaf with somebody that no one's going to change opinions, right? We know that. That ikhtilaf doesn't need to be bloody. Let it be ikhtilaf, it doesn't have to be bloody. All right, let's go to our Q&A session for, for now and see what we got going on. Okay. All right, here we go. Some scholars say that it's disliked to ask two people to interpret the same dream. No, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Because uh, dream interpretation, as you said, it's a fetch. It could be right or wrong. They both could have parts that are correct. And they both could not know something. Okay, Like I've seen cases where the same dream. One thing is clear. Everyone who asks the interpretation is clear. The second thing, they all gave different meanings. All of them are possible, none contradicting each other. The third part of the dream, nobody knew the answer to. All right, so I've seen all. So it's a fatwa. So it's not, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. 
to do that. It, what they what they mean by that is in the same way that if a novice starts asking thick questions to five different people, he will be utterly confused, right? But if the novice has one teacher and is learning from that one teacher, but there's one question that the teacher doesn't seem to, to answer it satisfactorily. Because remember, you just because you're ignorant does not mean you don't have a mind to tell that this answer is strong evidence or not. You can take that fuzzy area and ask somebody else for the answer. That's where it's acceptable. How do we deal with envious people? Being good to them. Because Sayyidina Yusuf, how did he remove the envy from his heart? By being generous to his brothers. Give them stuff. Give them stuff. Give them stuff. There was a man who envied the Prophet after the conquest of Mecca and he kept saying terrible things about Sayyidina Kunayn. Sayyidina Bilal came, was very upset. He said, what can we do? The Prophet said, shut his mouth with gifts from me. So keep giving him stuff. Just give him stuff. Give him stuff. Give him stuff. Until the man's heart was overflowing and now he loved the Prophet. Sayyidina Bilal came back and said, Messenger, no one's praising you more than him now. This is human nature. And that's why if you find yourself weak in deen and ibadah, maybe your love of Allah is weak. Ask Allah for something nice. Oh Allah, give me something nice so I can be filled with gratitude. Sayyidina Ali did this. He said, drank a nice cold drink on a hot day when that was not something that the Zuhad used to do. But Sayyidina Ali did it, and he said, I want, to remo- I want the gratitude to come out of my heart. Right? So if you want to renew your iman every once in a while, ask Allah for something nice. Make a dua. Oh Allah, give me something. Okay? Give me something. Okay? So, uh, so that my, my, my love can be renewed. We, we don't look down on that. Gifts produce love. The Prophet says, Tahadu, Tahabu. Give gifts, people will love you. Jubilat al qulub ala hubiman ahsana ilayha. Hearts are made to love to the one who's good to it. Oh, likewise, animals. Have you ever seen these um, amazing like uh, videos where uh, a, a woman may nurse a baby lion and then years later that she goes to visit that lion in a zoo? And the lion like hugs her. I've seen two of these videos. One video where there was a there was a zoo, and the baby the baby lion cub was really sick. She took him. She had to take the lion to her home. At night, after the zoo hours were over, she took the lion home at night, and she nursed the lion cub. Imagine that she nursed this lion cub back to health. So they attached, formed a bond, for a period of time. Then. The lion went back to the zoo. She retired. The lion grew up, became a real lion now. When she came back, that lion bolted. Of course, there were bars, right? Bolted, put his paws. You think that the lion was eating her, right? Put his paws out in the bars and hugged her, grabbed her, right? Hugged her and was licking her because they can smell. They sense it. They know that's you. So even lions, there was another video someone showed me of a guy walks out of his house and sees this creature, a little white creature. He can't, does not know what it is. It's weird. It's a freaky creature, all white with uh, eyes closed. So he takes it in and he starts giving it water and food. After a few days, he realized it's a squirrel. It's a baby squirrel. He'd never seen a baby squirrel before. And a baby squirrel looks like this weird rat, right? So he nurtures, he nurses the baby squirrel. 
And that squirrel, it lives outside and inside now. That squirrel has an attachment to the guy. The squirrel goes out, and the squirrel on like a cold day, a rainy day, will come in and will perch itself on him, go on his head, go in his pocket, and live with him like a kitten. SubhanAllah. So animals are like this. Anyone who's good to you, and I'm telling you some people, they have a weak love for Allah. I believe Allah, maybe his parents were stingy with him. Right? So he, he, he applies that to Allah. He believes Allah is stingy. Not, he doesn't say it, but he believes it. Right? He acts that way. Allah is never going to be good to me. If there's any goodness is going to come, then there must be something bad. And you see people talk like this all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're really rich, but their family's messed up. Oh, yeah, she's really pretty, but she's got air in here. Right? Uh, yeah, she's, re- she's, she's really pretty, but her married life is terrible. The, some people have this disease. They just don't believe in generosity. They don't believe Allah could be generous in every way, shape, and form. So they have to always look at some negative. This is, this is bukhr. You have a disease in your heart, you need to fix it. By aqidah. Mere simple belief. Can we know the description of Sayyidina Yusuf, alayhi salam? Well... I have to find a hilya of Yusuf. I've never found a hilya of Sayyidina Yusuf salam, a physical description. I know I've heard that he had, he was Ashkar. Ashkar is when the Semitic people, they can go both ways. The Semitic people can go light and they can go dark. They could go like, for example, like myself, like with brownish skin and black, dark brown eyes and black hair, right? Or they could go, what they say Imam Madik was like that, they say that Sayyidina Dawood was like that, Sayyidina Isa was like it, which is lighter skin and then uh, reddish and blondish, like a dirty blonde hair. That's what an Ashqar is. It's never going to be Scandinavian blonde, but dirty blonde hair, right? And that's what the Ashqar. And sometimes you have a, like people in the same family may go the different routes. And it's said that from Yaqub, Rum was Ashqar. Uh, from Ishaq, Rum was Ashkar and Ishaq was Asmar. Ishaq, uh, Yaqub was Asmar. So Yaqub had the black features, like black hair, brown eyes. Rum had the colored eyes and the light skin and the dirty blonde hair. And that Rum ended up becoming the father of the Romans. So Scandinavians, sorry, Scandinavians are different than Romans. Scandinavians descend from Yafith, Japheth, and the Romans descended from Ishaq. Allah knows best. That's what the story that's what they tell us. Can we say Bismillah in the toilet before making wudu in the bathroom? Just just to yourself, not out loud. If dream interpretation is science, which comes from the Quran and Sunnah, how did previous Ummahs and non Muslims interpret dreams before the Quran and the Sunnah? They interpreted dreams based upon their scripture that they had. If they had no scripture, sayings. If they had no, not only sayings, but realities, symbolism. So for example, fruit is almost always something good. Fruit is never something bad, right? Fruit is always something good. But a dog can differ. could be bad and good. A guard dog is good. A wild dog is bad. So they, they would interpret based on the thing itself, right? The cow is never anything bad in any culture. The cow never does anything bad. This Believe this. Uh, think about this. The cow, think about this. The cow never does anything bad. It's always good. It can't step on you, right? When was, the cows don't ram into you. 
They don't run into you, step all, step on you. Camels do, bulls do, but the cow doesn't. Okay, the cow, everything about the cow is useful. So the cow is always a good symbol, right? So they used to interpret by language by what the symbol actually means. Okay, the guy saw, um, funny thing. The guy said one time. I, I had, uh, he married a woman. He told her, subhanAllah, I had, I had just the year before we got married, I, I dreamt of a beautiful cow coming into my life, right? She's like, oh, are you calling me a cow? No, a cow, what is a cow? What is the effect of a cow? Everything good. Milk, meat, right? Uh, warmth, the, the leather is used. Now, is there any harm to the cow? Even the, def- the feces of the cow is useful extremely useful they use it for glue they use it for any other thing a lot of other things in the past everything about the cow is good and there are no harms in the cow so in that symbolism uh, of the woman and the cow she shouldn't be offended by that it just means all good no harm and really the cow if you think about it is the source of all goodness of every civilization because a civilization is the city life right well the city life relies on the farm life where you get your food the farm life really relies on the cow the vegetation and the meat and the milk because the vegetation you can't do it without a cow moving the plow right unless you would physically have to walk yourself but the cow moving the plow saves you a lot of energy and then the cow provides you milk and provides you meat and it provides you leather all benefit and no harm every revelation is a new addition to the book to the, the language of dream interpretation because that becomes for the believers that's the first source okay uh fruits and chicken and any bird meat fowl basically poultry is always good in a dream because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says right fruits that they desire that they choose right they pick and they choose and the bird the meat of of bird which they have a desire for they have a shahwa for so seeing um your person eating uh, any kind of fowl bird chicken whatever duck any bird eating from that means your desires will be attained and seeing any fruits it means that your choices are good and will be uh, attained okay, because of the verses like that <clears throat> next what what says for etikaf will there be a program where there is tarawih then a break then food then dhikr then qiyam then suhoor yes but the the after dhikr is an open break you can get your own food some guys usually go get go to quick check and empty out the snack department bring some junk food we eat relax take a take a nap do your own salah then we come back at around three o'clock three thirty pray kapurakas of qiyam shaf and witr then we have suhoor so that's how we operate here at mbsc if you want to join us at the last 10 days you can come and spend the night at mbsc you don't even need a hotel Why is the name Taha 
oftentimes attributed to the prophet? Yes, that's correct. The name Taha is oftentimes given as a name of the Prophet ﷺ because the verse right after that says, or it is the verse, Taha, The words right after that refer to the Prophet. We have not revealed this Qur'an to you to make, it diff- to, to make you in hardship. So the pronoun is mentioned. Well, where's the name? How can you mention a pronoun without a name? So therefore they assume Taha is one of the names of the Prophet ﷺ. What is the website for the items presented? Rumi's Garden. Rumi'sGarden.co.uk. It's a British site. Rumi'sGarden.co.uk. What is the significance of men covering their head? In Salah, nothing other than that the majority of times the Prophet had covered his head. For the Hanafis, it's makruh to pray bareheaded. Not the case in the Maliki method. We have no such rules. It's just ihtiram. Huh? We have the rida. This is the rida, is sunnah to wear for Salah. Usman Zubairi, is it a disadvantageous? to study in a madrasa in America as opposed to the East. If you're in the East and you're surrounded by people speaking Arabic, it's better for you. If you're in the East, but life is harder, that's bad for you. Like if you're in Egypt, you have a lot of scholars, big heavyweights, a lot of Arabic, a lot of books, but you also have a lot of nonsense. A lot of nonsense. A lot of hardship. And that is not good for you. Right, so it can go both ways. Some scholars say that it's disliked to ask two people who answered that one. Answered that one. I'm paraphrasing. This is Abdullah from the U.S. He says, I'm paraphrasing, but I believe you mentioned something in the past similar to what any per- some Salafis say that any perfection of creation is reflective of Allah. Yes, anything good that we see in the khalq, that is a reflection of a divine attribute. And anything bad we see is the reflection of the absence of that divine attribute. So Allah shows us his presence by showing us his absence. Okay. How does one formally study dream interpretation? No, you just hang out with a dream interpreter and he'll teach you. It has to be taught one-on-one like this. Yeah, you could study the tafsir of Surah Yusuf too. So much of dream interpretation is taught through the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. How can students of knowledge service the method of Ahlul Sunnah online? You can constantly share and repackage what you learn. Like there are a lot of people who get so many hasanat by just taking clips, video clips, clipping them up. Quick faida. Right? Can a woman do atikaf at home if she's not praying? Yes. Can we know the description of Sayyidina Yusuf? We mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, subhanallah. Hajib. Yeah, so that the so that the um Sayyidina Yusuf, the Prophet's beauty was the Jalali side of the Jamaat. 
yeah, it was the uh, Heba or the majestic side of beauty, and Sayyidina Yusuf had the beautiful side of beauty. Huh? Oh, the Prophet had the Jamadi side, so it calmed people down. Oh, the Jamadi side of beauty, it calmed people down, and Sayyidina Yusuf had the Jadadi side, which got attention. Right? SubhanAllah. Okay, what else we have here? Any tried and tested athkar for disciplining the nafs. The best way to discipline the nafs is the cooling dhikr, which is salah on the Prophet ﷺ, combined with fasting. The nafs will slowly calm down without much agitation. The cooling dhikr is salah on the Prophet. It will cool you down. Do only men interpret dreams? No, of course not. Women can say that Aisha used to know this and many other women used to know this. And um, Yeah, there are some women who are more famous than others from the Sahabiyats and until today. Mm, Chocolate Wallace says, I take about an hour before iftar and I work out with heavy weights and calisthenics. And I do dhikr while doing that, but I don't enunciate it. Is this okay? Yes, it is okay. It is okay. Are angels visible to dogs? Allah Adam, it could be. Is there any profound dua for a spouse? Yes. Rabbi inni anzalta faqir. My biggest fear is to end up with someone non-practicing and loveless marriage. Well, don't say that. Don't think about that, or else that's what you'll get. Why don't you reverse it and use your power of your imagination and the power of your mind? To start focusing on what you do want rather than what you fear. Okay. Um, anytime I was in sports, if I ever feared losing, you knew you're gonna lose. Right? If I ever feared losing, you knew you're gonna you're done with. If you really want to win, you could win. Right? But if you fear losing, you're gonna lose. I can't get married due to parents putting culture over religion. Are you a male? If you are a male, marriage is your right. No different than your right to eat and drink. Okay? Because marriage is a shahwa. Primarily, it's a shahwa. It's a desire. It's not a rational thing to do. It's not a... Uh, it's a shahwa. It's a desire. So therefore, it's on the level of food and drink. You have a right to it. No, your parents cannot tell you don't, be, don't have friends. And your can't, parents can't tell you uh, don't get married, don't eat food, and can't tell you don't get married. That's if you're a male. If you're a woman who has never married before, your father is allowed to stop you from getting involved with a guy if he knows that that guy is bad. If your father is unreasonable, then you're not the judge of that. Get the imam and the other men of the community to agree that he's unreasonable, right? The other men who have married daughters off, they say, yeah, no, this is unreasonable. Then they can override your dad. But you, as a daughter, you've never done what your dad's doing. You don't know the world of men like your dad does. You can't judge him as being unreasonable. Is he unreasonable? It could be, but you're not the judge. Get the imam, get your uncle, get your, uh, your, all the f- men in the family to agree that he's unreasonable, then they can override your dad. Okay? Is it true that good dreams take time and bad dreams come quickly? Good dreams can come in short times or long times, and bad dreams tend to come quicker yes that's true because like when you have a warning sign you don't put the warning sign five miles ahead of the problem 
By the time you get there, you forgot about it. You put the warning sign pretty quick ahead of the problem. But if you notice signs that say New York, Philly, they come early, right? Because chances are people are on a journey and they need to know. So the bad things usually come quickly while the good things usually take some time. Because there's when the good thing takes time, there's growth. There's Iman. There's a lot of nice things that develop while waiting for something good. Why would it be an issue that Zuleika tried to seduce Yusuf if the Aziz brought Yusuf for a similar purpose? The expectation was that it would be mutual. But Sayyidina Yusuf was a prophet and he doesn't do this fahisha. Okay? So she forced it and that became a scandal. Again, for marriage, Rabbi inni lima anzalta min faqir. But look, the dua is the tip of the iceberg. What else did Musa do, alayhi salam? Sayyidina Musa said that dua, but he did something else. He fled from evil people to go live with good people. He helped Muslims, right? Look what Sayyidina Musa did before saying that dua. Many people say, oh, I said the dua, but it didn't work. Okay, because... You didn't fulfill the prerequisites. The mercy of Allah is near to the muhsinin. What is the muhsin? The mu'min, regular good Muslim. Salih, regular good Muslim, that's it. Muhsin, this is the one who's gone above and beyond. He's into knowledge, he's into ibadah, he's into dhikr, he's into sadaqah. He does all these things. That's a muhsin. He clearly is a cut above the regular run of the mill in his action. May, may Allah accept and may Allah keep them that way because it could change, right? The mercy of Allah is near to the muhsineen. If you want the mercy of Allah, go find the muhsineen and physically get near them. If they're in a building, go to that same building. If they're having a course, a class, go to that class. If they're in, if you're a guy and he's a guy and he's on the first stuff and you're in the last stuff, go in the first stuff. If you can pray next to him, pray next to him. The mercy of Allah is physically near to the muhsineen. So look around who's doing good, who's seeking knowledge, who's surpassing us in the deen and physically will go next to them. Mercy of Allah will come to you. Okay. So then there is muhsinat of the women. So uh, secondly, so he left the evil people, Pharaoh and his arm and his people, and he went to be in Midian. Midian. Sayyidina Musa salam, did not go to Midian on accident. He did not end up in Midian by accident. He ended up in Midian on purpose. He knew these were good people. Okay? When he got to Midian, what did he do? He helped. He helped those, those girls. The daughters, whoever, some say it was Shu'aib, some say it was a companion of Shu'aib. He helped them. Okay? If you want your du'a to be answered, ask yourself every day, who did I help today? Did I help any Muslim today? When you see some of the awliya and their stories, you know how many people the awliya help a day? SubhanAllah, this is a great ni'mah that Allah gave them. They're able to help hundreds of thousands of people a day. Maybe by a book, maybe by charity, who knows by what? Maybe as a leader. Okay? They help people. So, Get in the business of helping people. It's a shortcut 
Who are you helping them for? For Allah's sake. Okay, you're truly helping them for Allah's sake? Then stick with it for a while. Truly helping them for Allah's sake? Then prove yourself. Stick with it. Stick with helping other people. Guarantee you, at some point, your du'a will be answered. It is a guarantee like gravity. You have to help people, though. You cannot be just at home making du'a for yourself. Yes, you could do that, but you got to help others. It's the fastest route. So Sayyidina Musa, السلام, after he helped those girls, then after he fled from the evil people to be with the good people, then he said, And Allah gave him what he wanted. And more. If Zulaikha didn't become Muslim until long after the events of Surah Yusuf, does that mean when she confessed and talks about Nafs Ammara, she wasn't a Muslim? No, at that time she was a Muslim. And um, not only that, those people were like the version of Ahl Kitab today, right? Whereas they had prophets in their lineage. They were connected to Prophet Ibrahim at some point, but they lost that connection. But they did have the structure of angels, demons, afterlife, one God, ego. They had that structure. Hence, what did the women say when Yusuf came down? They cut their hands with knives, right? We happen to have a knife today <laughs> they had cut their hands with knives they said this is not a human being this is an angel where did they know about angels from because they were in the structure of the religion of abraham but they had just lost prophethood okay. you can also chocolate wallow is saying also say the If the brothers of Yusuf are not prophets, who are the Asbat in Surah Al-Baqarah? The Asbat are the tribes, the 12 tribes. Yeah. They are one nation, but we cut them up into Asbat, tribes. Each one is a nation by itself, but they are one nation. So the Asbat are the tribe, but they're just not, they, they weren't prophets. Prophets would be masum from trying to kill somebody, right? How do we understand the narration regarding stoning the adulterer? Being in the Quran but removed from recitation. No, it's not tahrif, it's it's naskh. See, naskh abrogation is not just that a new rule follows an old rule. It is also that a recitation of the Quran is removed okay it is removed and so you find that the Sahaba speak about this Nasr. they speak about it about Nasr. and they speak about Surah Al-Ahzab being, being longer than Baqarah than the Messenger وسلم, coming back reciting it again having removed not recited some of the uh some of the verses. Okay. Is there any inherent benefit in eating the fruits mentioned in the Quran? Allahu Alam. Allahu Alam. What does it mean if you forget your dreams? Maybe it just means that your person's spirituality is not strong enough. Maybe it wasn't a true dream either. True dream is very hard to forget. And it's very, if you notice, one thing we never mentioned all the dreams, look how short they are. Extremely short dreams. They're not long dreams. 
The true dream is usually like a snapshot image. You can never forget it. Like one scene, maybe. Two scenes. That doesn't mean it's limited to that. It could be long and true. Okay? I know one dream interpreter, when he listens, he says, Hindi? <laughs> He says, is this, is this a dream or a Bollywood movie? <laughs> right? If it's really long. Right? <laughs> but the true dream usually is short. And symbolic, so he can remember it. Even a child remembered it. Sayyidina Yusuf, right? He was a child at the time, of course. He's a noble prophet, but he, noble prophet could be a child. And uh, he remembered it, right? So. Um, Maryam, if you see a beautiful dream, should we get interpreted by a scholar so it comes true faster? Yes. Aisha Mukhtar says, no, a cow kicked me once. Because we said the cows have no harm in them, right? <laughs> Cows kicked you? you? How do you know? How, how did you do with cows before? You had a farm? Yeah. Uh, I see. Really? Yeah, he got violent? Ajib. Bad dream in Ramadan. Isn't Shaitan locked up? Yes, but your fears may be there. And Allah knows best. It could be a fear that you have. Why do a lot of tariqas wear green? It's become a symbol of the Prophet, the color the Prophet likes to wear, it's green. Or uh, that likes to look at. Prophet used to always wear white, actually. Never wore green. But he liked to look at green, so people took that on and they started wearing green. Aisha Bukhtar says, I probably went, approached it from the back, so you're harming it at that point. You approach it from the back, it gets nervous. Friend has to play trumpet for class and rehearsals and concerts. What should he do? Well, the trumpet is forbidden for the Madikis and the Hanafis, but the uh, Shafis are lenient on wind instruments. So you either go Shafi for that period. I'm, I'm Shafi for six period <laughs> until we finish uh, playing wind instruments. Or you ask, you tell your teacher, I have religious uh, purposes, religious uh, exception. Uh, what's the explanation for Semitic speaking groups of East Africa? Yeah, there there is southward migration. Yeah, there's a lot of Semitic language. I think Amharic is Semitic. So the Semitic is pretty broad. Yeah, Semitic uh, countries, it's a broad circle. Does Witted prayer differ between Medhavs? Yes, because it's three rakas with the Hanafis and it's one witr is one raka but to perfect it you pray shafr shafr two and then one but the witr is one okay uh, the, sh- the, 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 the ahnaf pray it by praying exactly like maghrib essentially it's exactly like maghrib Can we apply cold ointment on the nose while fasting? Yes, you can. On the nose, yes. Not uh, uh, as long as you're not going up into your duct and, and coming down or your throat area. Are there any specific salawat? Uh, the best salat, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And then Allahumma salli wa sallam alayhi for short. Can I read 
Learn dream interpretation from the book of Ibn Sidin. No, I don't advise you to do that. I'll tell you why. Because the dream interpretation works like this. Uh, you have a symbol and another symbol and another symbol and another symbol and another symbol. The one symbol only makes sense when it matches with the other symbol. Okay? A tomato. It's a good fruit, right? Vegetable. But how did you see the tomato in a dream? Being given to you as food or being thrown at you? <laughs> because that means something in our culture too, right? So when Ibn Sidin or some one of these people are, are typing in dreams or are, 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 are giving you the interpretations, he's giving you all the possible possibilities. It means nothing to you. To, to you. you need the whole, he needs the whole thing together, okay? It's like, what is the letter B? stand for refer to depends the letters next to it right what's next to it two e's okay an a and another b and a y what's next to it it means nothing to me i saw a line in the dream that means nothing um you have to see what is it doing but you also have to see what are the other symbols around it to give it meaning that's what gives it meaning it's like a picture it's like a picture Picture, you know, there's all these things in it, but only put together gives you a meaning. Yep. Is listening to Wirid and Salah on a car ride as effective as reading it? Not as effective. It has benefit, of course, but to, to recite it is the more benefit. You know, by the way, so many uh, websites are just like, Sort of absurd, right? I, I was looking at one website, Arabic website, and a sister's asking, why don't I mention dream interpreters? The only one I know in English is Sheikh uh, uh, Amin Khalwadia in English. All the rest I know from the Arab world. And I sort of got into learning this and contacting them during COVID when there was a, you know some more time on my hands. And I learned a lot from them. But the... Um, what was I saying? Some of the Arab websites are so absurd. I saw a website. It's not a joke. It says, the interpretation of the cell phone in dreams according to Ibn Sidin. What? <laughs> uh, it's a couple thousand years maybe. <laughs> Millennium and a half off there. So you just got to be careful when you uh, do this. Best talk to a real human being. Is it true that we shouldn't use wear used clothes from other people? I never heard that, but I do know that you should wash it in case there's najasa on it. Right? <laughs> you never know the person didn't maybe didn't observe the rules of najasa and tahara. Uh, Fulbring says, when I said parents put culture over religion, I meant that they overlook good potential spouses just because that person is from another culture. I said, look, at a certain point, you have to protect yourself, protect your dean. You are permitted. If you work and you provide for yourself, you are permitted to marry of your choice. You don't need permission from your mom. You need permission from your dad because we can't make this harder. Sometimes, sometimes, there, there has to be a balance. On one hand, yes, we have adab with the parents, 100%. 
On the other hand, you have to marry. If you want to get married, you cannot be frustrated like this. The person who doesn't want to get married doesn't want to get married. He's not a fitna for anybody or himself. But the person who wants to get married and he's not being allowed to marry, that's not acceptable. That's a fitna. Okay? So you, 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 you can go get married and then try to convince your parents after that. If they're being hard. And sometimes people, they'd be like from Sri Lanka. Very like small population, right? Very small population in New Jersey of Sri Lankans. What are my cho- choices? Four people? So if I don't marry from, from, from five people, I can't marry at all? Nah, that's too much. Our dean opens the door for that. You, you marry and then try to convince your parents after that. What should we do during the day while we are in New Jersey for the summer program? Um, I have to, well, first of all, you're not going to have a lot of time, to be honest with you. You got Fajr in the masjid. You can pray Fajr in the masjid. You can go to the gym. You, 12 o'clock, you roll around here. You hang out here. We have, we streaming from one to three. After three o'clock, go to the masjid again, have lunch, pray salah, go to classes. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be classes. There'll be awrat. Wednesday night, frisbee football. They're, they got to be the simple. Oh, wait. When is frisbee football? Tuesday night? I have no idea. It doesn't conflict with the soup kitchen. I know that. So Wednesday night, soup kitchen. Then you got frisbee football. Then you got basketball. There's Harris and his crew. They play basketball, I think, on, on, on Tuesday or Thursday night. Thursday night, Molin. Right? Probably Saturday, go to New York City. Go to Makassid. Take the car out. Rent a car for the day. Go somewhere. Take the train. Right? Keep yourself busy. There's plenty of stuff to do here. What if someone commits sins in Ramadan? It can happen. You still have a nafs and you're fasting, so now that nafs may be pushing back. You can't push an enemy except that enemy will push you back you can't try to tame a dog except that dog will get angry just keep making tawbah and keep fasting i heard that we shouldn't pray for marriage because it comes with tests no not at all the quran says but you should pray that the marriage is good and blessed what you shouldn't say is oh allah protect me from fitna you should say, oh Allah, protect me from the fitna that leads us astray. Ibn Mas'ud said this. al fitna. The Prophet وسلم, never sought refuge from fitna. He sought refuge from mudillat al fitna. Fitan. The fitna that leaves you astray. Why? Because the Quran says, fitna. Your kids, your wife, your spouse, your mostly your kids and your and your money is fitna. Right? Your kids and your money is fitna. If you have like a two-year-old or a two-and-a-half-year-old, and you have to pray, watch or read Qur'an, look at how distracting. You know what one of the shaitan comes? It says, they're only this age for a small period of time. Play with them, right? And you end up not doing any ibadah at all. That's how much children fit them. But you want children. That's why Ibn Mas'ud said, do not say, oh Allah, protect me from fitna. He said, protect me from fitna that leads us astray. 
because you should have uh, children and money. You need children and money. Adonis says, I feel like I was only helping others and no one was helping and no one is helping to the point where I felt I was being taken advantage of. How do I respond? You help without being taken advantage of. Ask, go to where you live, the master where you live, and see who else is helping others. You're not the first person in the world to try to help others, right? Or in the community, try to help others. Others, people are involved. So see how they do it without getting taken advantage of. What is an increase in true dreams a sign of? It's a sign of clarity of heart. It's also a sign of the end of time. There was one time the Prophet used to always ask the Sahaba after Fajr who had a true dream, okay? who had dreams. And he would not ask it later in the day because Munafiqeen would be around. The pious come to pray with the Prophet And so for a month, nobody had true dreams. So they said, Messenger, what happened? None of us are having dreams. He said, um, redo the, 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 the things of fitrah, which is shaving the hair here under the arms, between the legs, trim the mustache, trim, clip the nails, do the fitrah, and that will help you have truer dreams. Yeah. What time is it? What in the world? It's 4.30? Oh, we started so late today. Subhanallah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all over the place uh, in terms of time these days. Okay. We are on Ramadan. Everything is flipped. Night and day is totally flipped. By the way, this would probably be, do sinful people get true dreams or warnings? They could get everything. Yeah, they can get everything because it may be something where a, a case where they, um, it, it's for their future. They're sinful now, but Allah gives them something nice to motivate them to get out of that. Okay. All right, Ramadan 12, 13, 14, 15. And so this would be our last week of streaming. We will not be streaming next week because we're entering the last 10 days. Let us close out with... Do I... <laughs> I'd love to have some ice cream, to be honest with you. Dua and Nur right now. <sighs> Seems like I can never find it on my phone. Okay. Let me just enlarge it here on YouTube. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma ja'alli nooran fi qalbi wa nooran fi qabri wa nooran fi sam'i wa nooran fi basari wa nooran fi sha'ri wa nooran fi bashari wa nooran fi lahmi wa nooran fi dami wa nooran fi idhami wa nooran fi asabi وَنُورًا مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيَّا وَنُورًا مِنْ خَلْفِي وَنُورًا عَنْ يَمِينِي وَنُورًا عَنْ شِمَالِي وَنُورًا مِنْ فَوْقِي وَنُورًا مِنْ تَحْتِي اللهم زدني نورا وأعطني نورا واجعل لي نورا وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين